Thank you for listening to Knocking Doors Down, brought to you by KDD Media Company. I've been sober 19 years, 11 months, and nine days as of today. Mm -hmm. And so I've had a lot of time to talk about this and think about this shit. The term drug of choice would imply that I chose, that I made a conscious decision about what drug I want to be the one. Mm -hmm. I I would not and did not choose crystal meth. Inside the 5150 Studios, this is the Knockin' Doors Down podcast about those who have been through great adversities, including mental health issues and addiction issues, come out on the other side to live prosperous lives. My name is Jason. I'm your host. I've had some of those issues, as has my co-host, Uncle Mikey. What is going on, people? Our guest on this episode, Sonny Mayo. Sonny Mayo, great fella. Yeah, Sonny's badass. This is our first two-part release. We had such an amazing conversation with Sonny that uh, spanned over two hours. So we've split it into two episodes. So if you're listening to this, this is part one. Part two is also available now. So make sure you guys check it out. We get into everything, how he fell into his addiction recovery. We talk about his music career, rock to recovery, his love for animals, and so much. This is uh, just an awesome episode. He's an amazing individual. That's what I adore about him. We both share the same love for animals dogs in particular but all animals but i love how he loves dogs just as much as me and vice versa and uh, we thank you guys for listening on apple podcast app and spotify where you can now leave us a rating and review on both of those apps as well we're of course on google podcast pretty much every podcast app out there so you can get us and uh, you can also go to our youtube channel check out short clips and join the uh, premium channel 99 cents a month for the unedited commercial free interviews if you're a visual person like myself that's right so all the interviews of the uh, past episodes and this one are currently up there for your viewing if you join and there's also clips from the videos as well so hey check it out and of course check out 5150 ltm we couldn't do any of this without them could we uncle mikey we could not the 5150 LTM lifestyle brands, hats, shirts, t-shirts, sweatshirts, sweatpants. I got some cool camouflage one because you know I like my camo and so much more. So, hey, hit that link in the podcast description. Get yourself 20% off for being a listener of the podcast. How, Jason? Use the code KDD20. That's KDD20. And that's all you got to do. 20% off. Sick. So when on... Easter Sunday of 1995, April whatever, uh, I got a phone call, and it was 1995, so I didn't have a cell phone, and I'd been gone all day, and I'm sitting there playing like Sega Genesis, like NBA uh, All-Star. Hell yeah. It was like when they first moved it to like a, a kind of angled 3D right. kind of feel, and my girl answered the phone, she comes down the corner, you know, with the cable, with the cord on the phone and shit, and she's like, hey, uh, this is a call for you. Now, I was fully aware that my friend John Faunastock, we called him Tumor, he had moved out to Santa Barbara to start playing with his band out there that he had connected with through Shannon Larkin, who currently plays for Godsmack, but was in the band Ugly Kid Joe at the time, but was our friend who we were in a side project with before he moved out there called Motherfucking Pitbulls. And he was also in a band called Wrathchild America slash Souls at Zero. It's a lot of stuff there. <laughs> it's a lot, a lot to digest. <laughs> you got it? You guys follow me? You got me? You follow right. me? And so I was aware that he went out there and those dudes, actually, actually, those dudes, Shannon and and John had told me over Christmas, like, hey man, have your shit together, like, because you might get the call, like, to come, to move to California to to join Snot. Where were we at then? I was in Virginia, so I grew, oh, okay. I, I grew up in Virginia. Okay. Yeah, and so um, that's the backstory that I just put after the front story. Um, 
but yeah, so I'm sitting there and I and my girl's all, hey, here's the phone's for you. Like, Hello? And this guy goes, Sonny, man, I've been trying to get a hold of you all day. And I said, well, who is this? And he goes, this is Lynn from Snot. And I said, well, what do you want? <laughs> and he goes, I want metal. And I said, you called the right place. I want the mayhem, bro. I want to love the mayhem. But he goes, I want metal. I said, you called the right place. And he made this sound from his voice through the phone that I heard later on albums. It was like, yeah. <laughs> like when I answered, the, you called the right place. Yeah. He's like, man, we want you to come join our band. And, all, and I was like, all right. Let's, uh, let's talk about it. I didn't say yes right away, but in my mind, I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to Santa Barbara. I'm not staying in Reston, Virginia. Yeah. Working at an animal hospital, trying to get another band together and try to make some shit happen in D.C. Like, you know, For lots right. of bands have done it, but I was like, man, I want to get the hell out of here. And so the phone, they were at a phone booth. And uh, so it was a singer and then Mikey, the guitar player, and then the drummer, Brent. And then it finally got to the guy I actually knew, Tumor, John. I went on the phone. He's like, yeah, man, we want you to come out. And I'm like, cool i'm like what's up with that name dude what's up with snot and he goes well man we've been in meetings with you know a lawyer and some managers and stuff and nobody said anything about it nobody's been like oh you should change the name <laughs> so he goes so we're just and i was like all right cool <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> whatever <laughs> then i came to realize later that the inspiration one might say and i don't know if mikey i don't even know if i ever talked to mikey Dolan about this but it felt like or feels like Mikey was really good friends, is really good friends with the guys in Ugly Kid Joe. Uh, that's how Shannon met Mikey, because right, right, right. Shannon joined Ugly Kid Joe in 1994, and so on. And so um, Mikey was good friends with those guys, so kind of had the idea of like the what they were doing, what Ugly Kid Joe was doing was um, funky. It was kind of like what my friend Whit Crane, the singer from Ugly Kid Joe, says now. At that time, they were the last smile to get through the door. 1991, 92, 93 started coming and then grunge hit and then everyone was like, rave man, you know, and it was beautiful, yeah, but yeah. Right. but he's like, Ugly Kid Joe's the last smile to get through the door, because then it was, but then Chili Pepper stuck around, Faith No More, stuff like that. But, um, so Ugly Kid Joe had this thing that was like, kind of like, fuck you, <laughs> but Snot was like, fuck you, man, like, and that's Lynn Strait, dude, but Mikey had the idea. And so I feel like it was kind of inspired by the vibe of Ugly Kid Joe. So where Ugly Kid Joe, uh, was like the little brother of whatever, of Pretty Boy Floyd. <laughs> we were the little brother of Ugly Kid Joe. So like you have a misbehaving child mm. or like a misbehaving child yeah, yeah. and then you have the little brother of the misbehaving that's even worse than the other one. That was us. <laughs> <laughs> we were even worse. I mean, Lin, and Lynn Stray lived that shit until the moment he died. Yeah. 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 He was that a fucking was... maniac, man. Oh, I know. I remember when, when he passed. That he was... lived the madness, bro. Yeah. Yeah. A little Bing. too much. Sponsor. You're supposed to live your brand. You are. He was living the brand. He lived bro. the brand. So God were, bless him, man. Were you still uh, uh, in your addiction at that time? Oh my then? God, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't. There wasn't any thought yeah. about it when it when all that was going on. Any thought like, about what? Like, I, I'm, I'm. This is normal for me. That everybody's using. Everybody, you know. This is just the normal rock metal lifestyle. Yeah. Your lifestyle. Yeah, I was progressing at that point. I was getting. It was progressing. The mm. disease as we call it, uh, in the 12-step realm. It was like, when Lynn died especially, it fueled even more justification for self-destruction. Mm -hmm. Really? It, it definitely, I went, I, I, I like went in. I feel like it can go one way or the other. Mm. It could be one way like, fuck, okay, wake up, call, I'm not doing this anymore. Right. Or just, fuck it, 
self-destruct three yeah. two one blast off yeah dude yeah. and i think it depends on where someone is mm -hmm. at the time that the thing happens mm -hmm. so where i was at that time so imagine this i mean we're i got a lot of I, there's i have so much like experience that i'm aware of that i can remember these things and right. i go wow ting, ting, ting. but i had moved to california and i really delved into addiction man i i, I was i'm powerless over drugs and alcohol once it's in my body i'm not in control Maybe I won't go on to the bitter end, maybe I will, but it's not my choice. Um, sometimes I would stop, because the shit would get a little whatever, but then eventually, if I wasn't, you know, I, I really, I'm a 12-step guy, and if I wasn't treating the spiritual aspect of me, then I was gonna reach for it. If I didn't have something else to help me go through life, um, I was gonna reach for the drug or the drink, mm -hmm. and it was only a matter of time. And so when I got out to California, when I got to Santa Barbara, it was like paradise, man. Mm -hmm. Santa Barbara was a, like a, there's college there. Yeah, oh, yeah. Beautiful. Every day is like Groundhog Day. It's like it's gorgeous. And um, so it was like the land of milk and honey, right? And there's weed, and the weed is 10 times better, mm -hmm. or was 10 times better than the weed from Virginia. There's no seeds. Right. I was shocked the first time. Somebody's like, yeah, it's, I don't know what the cost is now, but in 1995, they were like, I'm like I was like, let me get an eighth, and they're like, 60 bucks. I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And, and then those dudes had to be like, bro, watch. And then I, and it was just, just, spongy no seeds just oh sticky icky i was like oh my lord uh, make that a quarter man. i got a buck 20 you know like it was just like whoa my god and so i was j diving in i get it. that's when i kind of got introduced to meth now the crazy thing is now i was in treatment when i was 16 years old oh, shit. so 1987 i was in treatment mm. right so i had already had some experience with and i you know knew that that I, you know, had right. issues that mm -hmm. I knew that I liked. I always do these air quotes because I don't really, I, ultimately I didn't like crystal meth, but I couldn't stop doing it sure. <laughs> when it came yeah. down to it. Yeah, <clears throat> that's tweakerish. What didn't you like about it? I just did, I mean, that my teeth were falling out, that I would, yeah. what I would do is I would, uh, I would like not eat, not drink, totally cave in, right, right. Uh, sexual deviancy, um, I would push everybody away and then blame them for abandoning me, right? Right, and that kind of stuff. And it was awful. And I was such a tweaker at the end. Literally, two weeks after 9/11, a month after 9/11, right before the shoe bomber guy was was uh, found, yeah. I smoked crystal meth in the bathroom on an international flight. Wow! Up torch, pipe. In I had the pipe in my boot, and I faked like a limp. And I had a pipe. I mean, if anybody doesn't know what a pookie is, they call it a pookie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, I had it in my boot. If I, if I had snapped that thing while I was walking, I'm surprised you didn't. Jesus, because the pookie, they got that fat ball at the end. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, imagine, if, and then yeah. I'm, and I got glass shards and meth shards on my feet, my foot. So I didn't, and I made it on the plane, and I went in the bathroom, and I'm smoking meth. Look, literally looking at the smoke detector, going, "What am I doing? Yeah. What am I doing? Yeah. Now, see, that's where I say." I'm, I wasn't doing that because I liked it. That's what I mean when I say I didn't right. like it. Right. I didn't like that shit. I would not have chosen to do that. I was a slave. Mm -hmm. That's beyond my thinking. It wasn't me going, I'm, I can get away with this. It was me going, oh my God, what the fuck am I doing? What am I? And I'm looking at the smoke detector. And then I had some stroke of genius and I hit the, the flush and the plunger for the uh, thing and slowly blew it into the thing so it sucked uh, it yeah. and the air sucked down. I flushed the toilet like five times. It's like they had to do in prison. Is that how you were going to roll? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Blow it in the toilet and flush the toilet. That's exactly, yeah, okay, yeah. so I would have been done for. I wasn't in prison, I just watched a lot of 60 days. Yeah, he, yeah, he just, swears he wasn't. I just, yeah, just right. FYI. Yeah, I didn't even know that was a thing until that yeah. very moment. Mm -hmm. 
you know, necessity is the mother of invention. <laughs> yeah, man. So that's yeah. what I mean when I didn't want to say I didn't like it. Now, again, going back into my life, when I was a kid, I'm jumping all over the place. I tend to do that. That's totally cool. When I was, was going to ask you about childhood. Yeah, because we started talking about it's not right away. So I dropped into 1995. But when I was a kid, man, I, you know, I share this regularly because it's true for me. There, I had these, these like tendencies to be a little depressive yet super like extroverted at times mm -hmm. and, you know I might call it manic depression but I'm not clinically manic depressive but um, I would have these thoughts of like if the three of us were friends the two of you were closer friends with each other than either of you were with me mm -hmm. so I was like I'm out here and like she doesn't want to talk to me I suck on guitar I can't dance right yeah. and then I like had a drink or you know smoked some weed and I'd be like oh man I'm so creative dude mm -hmm. I'm so Oh, bro, we're tight as fuck. We're all three, man. We're fuck, three amigos, right? Right. And then I'm, I can, oh, I can dance, right? And she does want to talk to me. What's up, girl? You know, like it would do oh, this yeah. thing for me. It changed me here in my in here. Yeah. What I didn't realize was happening happening concurrently, if you will, is that because of whatever DNA, I don't know what it is, mm -hmm. but in this body and mind is the condition that we refer to as alcoholism, which in my experience. In, again, in this body, encompasses addiction as part of it. I just call yeah. it alcoholism because that's what we say in, in AA. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I just refer to it as alcoholism, but I'm referring to pretty much any mind-altering substance that I did mm -hmm. um, what it, what, that had an effect on me. Yeah. I was, I'm pretty much not in charge of what happens next. Sure. Yeah. Right? So when I discovered a drink and a drug and it changed my thinking about me and everything around me, I started to rely on that mentally, and then physically my body was craving it, right? Mm -hmm. And so it talks about in the big book that we have a physical allergy. So mm -hmm. not, not an allergy, like I have a nickel allergy, like I can't wear um, like metal, mm -hmm. uh, my skin breaks out and shit, right? And once I realized it, I was like, I'm not wearing that shit anymore. Mm -hmm. I can wear surgical steel, but I can't wear like nickel, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, my, down to my belt buckle and everything, I can't fuck up my skin down here. <laughs> and so, um, we get some gal come back to the place or something. What is going on above your? Uh, it's just an allergy. Don't <laughs> just you worry an about allergy. that. Don't you worry about. <laughs> I'll just cover it up. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> right. No, it's, no. As you work. Yeah. As, As you work. work. Yeah, just right here, right here. Just look right here. <laughs> look me in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> I like it right here, honey. Sorry, this is inappropriate. Totally inappropriate. So, uh, yeah. So that that allergy that I discovered was not coupled with an, a, a, an obsession of my mind, right? right? Once I realized what it was, I was like, no more nickel touches my skin, rad. But with this particular allergy, it, it's coupled with a mental obsession, right? Some kind of peculiar mental twist that tells me that I can, should, deserve to, they are doing it so I should be able, why can't I just have a drink, mm -hmm. right? That kind of, what, who wants a drink? <coughs> A non-alcoholic, somebody who's not yeah, an alcoholic is like, I'll have a drink. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, hey, a drink, like what? All right, like I just wanna like smoke a hit of crystal meth. Like nobody <laughs> except for people that are addicts and alcoholics think that way. And yeah. I had I realized that later. But as a kid, I didn't realize this was happening. And man, it got me, dude. I got, I, got, I was addicted to weed. Um, a buddy of mine had dexedrine. You guys know what dexedrine is? I don't. It's today's. It's like it went like it's a it's a prescription for ADD and ADHD oh, okay. or was. So it was Ritalin, Dexedrine, Adderall, gotcha. and and other ones that they tried that are like the uh, yeah. But but Dexedrine was like the eighties, late eighties. Uh, it's basically meth. 
And so I started doing that with a buddy of mine, and I got strung out on that shit, and I ended up in rehab when I was 16 years old. Because it gives you like that hyper focus, I'm guessing, or something. Yeah, it's yeah. To calm got, down me, the- got me high. It's not me. I didn't. I don't have ADD. Yeah. So with him, it was like he was like, like it calmed him down. Yeah. But with me, it was I was like, I play riffs for 72 hours straight. So how'd you get into rehab? Like, family saw you and were like, you need help, and you were just like, all right. You were well, no. Did you go down with a fight? Yeah, I tried, but I was 16, right? Sure, sure. So that particular time, um, I had been getting in trouble for a long time. Uh I was a latchkey kid. My parents both worked. They weren't really around. So I was, I mean, I was just, I was up for grabs. I could do whatever the hell I wanted to. And until it was too much trouble and I wasn't going to school. And then they'd be like, wait a minute. Why does your report card have white out all over it? (laughs) Right? Because I was just fake. I was just, you know, changing everything. And so... um, my parents were divorced, but we only li- they only lived a block away from each other. Like I guess it was trying to be convenient for the kids or whatever, uh-huh. even though both of them were working and weren't really around. But um, they were doing what they had to do as you know parents. Yeah. And so uh, I was getting in a lot of trouble. And so finally, um, one night, I was like hanging out with the boys, and I snorted a bunch of Dexedrine. We were drinking MD twenty twenty. You know what I'm talking about? Mad, Mad Dog twenty twenty. Yeah. 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 Here's yeah. the thing: I did uh. not drink because I liked the taste of alcohol. I drank for the effect produced. Sure. Yeah. Sure. A rum and Coke or a, a Crown and Coke tastes. Yeah, this tastes cool. A beer. I used to like Killian's Red because it was kind of sweet. Uh-huh. Sure. That's not why I'm drinking it. I maybe that's why other people. Were, that's not why I drank. I drank for the effect produced. Yeah. I wanted. I wanted oblivion. Right. Mm-hmm. So this particular night, uh, I drank. I was drinking. I was doing some dexedrine. A buddy showed up with some acid. I think it was Red Star acid. Yeah, a little. And then I realized, oh shit, it's like nine o'clock on Tuesday. Like I got, I got a curfew. I got to go home, right? And so I go home, peeking on acid. I come in. My mom's never done had a drink or done a drug in her life. And I walk in, and I'm like, pretty <laughs> hour, yeah. And I'm like, mom, I have so much to tell you. <laughs> I sat her down and I was like, check it out. And I told her all, I don't know what else, I told her besides telling her that I had a message and that the only way she could really understand the message is if she were to liken me to the Messiah. Oh, Jesus. I didn't say I was Jesus, <laughs> but I said, you got to kind of think, think of, me of me that way. G- yeah, right. Like, like I'm not what st- was her reaction to this? <laughs> right. I was in rehab the next day. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so, like, so man. Thanks so, for the yes. setup. That was, I lobbed it up and you went. I'm trying so, to like, I'm, I want to be a fly on the wall for that conversation, dude. <laughs> right? I swear. I just picture you like 16-year-old, just fucking wired out of your mind, out of your gourd, trying to explain to your mom to, to, to view me like you would if this was the second coming of Jesus. Yeah, but I got you, the, but the message. It was the message, yeah. yeah. But you said your mom, no drink, no drug. What about dad, family history? No. Her, I think both of their parents were alcoholics. Okay. But at some point they found Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so then they, you know, didn't drink, well, allegedly. Right. My mom says that she thinks, because my dad, her dad would always be going to church on like a Wednesday or Thursday. Mm. So sometimes she's like, I think maybe he was going to AA meetings. At the church, I'll potentially. Be I mean, because you know, sure, that's where we have a lot of them. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, which is ironic too, uh, all the atheists and agnostics that we are, yeah, and also religious people. But we have them in churches, and I'm like, yeah, cool. Yeah. It's because they, they, because it's cheap rent. Yeah, this is true. That's why we're not religious. This is cheap rent. Yeah, the vast majority of the ones that I attend now that you mention it, other than a, a Zoom group that I got, is all the the churches, churches and, church yeah. basements and shit. Yeah. And so when I went to rehab at 16. I uh, I did this thing where they admitted me or whatever, and then when I went in, I didn't. I, again, this is me being uh, completely honest and, and aware 
back then that what, of what I did not know. Mm-hmm. Back then, I did not believe I was an alcoholic because I thought that it had to have alcohol connected to it. Sure. So I was telling people, I'm just an addict. Alcohol is not my problem. I don't have a problem with alcohol. What I didn't realize is that in this kind of like uh, cunning, baffling, powerful disease, if you will, in mind, I was actually reserving the right to drink. Right. Yeah. I was planning on drinking. Yeah. Like if I can't do drugs, I'm going to drink. And I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of it. Right. Or if I was, I was like lying to myself and be like, oh, that's not right. So eventually, I, I actually started sneaking around around six months, sneaking around to my friend's parents' liquor cabinets mm. and getting them in trouble for, without them alone. Mm. Right. I'm drinking my buddy Paul Willis. I made a mention a long time ago with Paul. Sorry, bro. <laughs> That he, he, got, he called me and be like, man, my dad's pissed at me. He said I you know, drank his booze from his liquor cabinet. And I was like, oh, that sucks. And it was, I had the bottle right there in my hand you know, right, on the right. phone. It was, that's, you know, that's an alcoholic, Sonny. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. More with Sonny Mayo coming up of our first ever two-part episode. So stick around. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. Now, I didn't really like alcohol when it came down to the end. I rarely drank. Um, it's not because I'm not an alcoholic. It's because I, there was, I had a substitute. Right. And so I, you know, I also like to dispel, for me, I, this is my, I've been sober 19 years, 11 months, and nine days as of today. Mm-hmm. And so th- I've had a lot of time to talk about this and think about this shit. The term drug of choice would imply that I chose, that I made a conscious decision about what drug I want right. to be the one. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I would not and did not choose crystal meth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not very distinguished. Not very elegant. And no, I don't it's, think it's 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 dirty. It's gross. Yeah. I was talking to. We talked to Tim and Jen uh, Ryan a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about how cocaine was the champagne of drugs. Yes. It's okay to do cocaine because yeah. celebrities do it, actors do yeah, it, musicians coke. do it. Yeah. It's fine. But meth. Because I had done meth too, and it was just so dirty. Yeah, you know, I had that with coke though. I had the jaw thing. Everybody knew. Oh, look, look, Mikey's on coke. Look, and I'd be sitting there like doing my jaw and whatnot. Uh But I want to know what when you're in rehab or in treatment at 16, were you like, dude? It's not like I'm never gonna fucking drink again. Like this is ridiculous. Or did you have the same mentality with drugs as well? What I can tell you, like that consciously that happened was I was so miserable for the first two weeks. I shut down, dissociated. I was like, man. Pouting and just being a sixteen-year-old punk kid, right? Yeah. And then this person who at a meeting who really was trying to be helpful, and uh, didn't kind of tell me what this phrase meant that he was going to give me to try to help me get sober and stay sober. He, this guy, I was like, there's a meeting happening here, and I'm like, turn, turn this way or whatever. And uh, this guy comes over and he's like, hey man, and I was like, what, dude? He's like, fake it till you make it, and I was like. Thanks. It rhymes. <laughs> Vegas. What he didn't do was he didn't tell me what that meant, what right. it, what it means. Now it's still used today. This phrase, "fake it till you make it." First of all, he didn't tell me what 
it was that I was supposed to fake, nor did he tell me what it was that I would then make. I did not know what he was talking about. Fake it till you make it, for anyone who doesn't know or anyone who's throwing it around, please tell the newcomer what you actually mean by this, besides this clever rhyme, because I drank on it, because I faked it. He sure. said, fake it till you make it, and I was like, thanks, bro, and then I went, hmm, okay. So I started lying. I was like, little son, he was doing great. I was at all the groups and saying all the things and literally just giving them lip service of what they wanted to hear. And they were like, I'm so proud of you. And I was like, great, awesome. I think nice. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. Life is complete. Yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye. Well, and I ask you that question too, because when I was, in re I was in rehab at 21 and I was just like, it's not like I'm never not going to drink ever again. You guys are tripping if you think that. So that's why I was wondering, is that a common thing for a young person going into I, I would imagine. think, because like we talked, when we talked with uh, Sheen, you know, like he said that. He was, what, 20, 21? Or I something don't remember. like that. It was like, a young age, though. Plus, it's, it, I would think probably, you know, at your point, being 16 years old, going to that, too, is, okay, I'm going to get mom and dad to fuck off my back. It wasn't like, wow, you know what? I'm, I'm lying to my friend. I'm still in his booze, getting him in trouble, and you know, like none of those. Yeah, there was no those, conscious. Yeah, that was mine. Moral type of thing going yeah. on. Yeah, getting what he just said, getting mom off my back. That was mine. That's exactly That's what why I was doing I by faking yeah. it till mm -hmm. I was making it. Yeah. Now, what that means is, fake it till you make it means just do the actions, take the actions, faking it, meaning just do it. But even if you don't believe in it, just do it. Right. And then watch it happen. Then all of a sudden right. you'll be like, oh shit, I feel better. I'm actually. Uh, I don't have the desire to drink and use, like things will change. It's almost like, or it's exactly like, if I were to hire a physical trainer, mm -hmm. I don't have to believe anything. Mm -hmm. All I have to do is what, do, was what that person says. They say, do this many push-ups, this many pull-ups, do these lat pulls, do these whatever things, eat this, do that, and it doesn't matter what I believe. I'll, I'll feel better, I'll get physically fit, right? It yeah. doesn't matter what I think. So that's what fake it till you make it actually means. But I feel, I mean, for me, again, it's like there's these clever little cliches that I think are dangerous in the fellowship. Mm. That we just, that's like a little one size fits all. Right. So just, here's the answer. You just got to do this. Mm -hmm. Oh, is that it? That's all I got to do. Yeah. You just got to know that there's a God and you're not it. No, man. I need way more than that. Yeah. I'm smarter than that. But I'm a, I, I can relate to that because I'm one of those people that really had to dig into, and it's <clears> funny <throat> you brought up the, the atheist or agnostic and we see it so many times, you know, it's, you know, it's like if someone just goes, well, brother, Jesus saves. And it's like, well, okay, what if that's not it? So was it a struggle for you with the higher power concept? I'm glad you asked. Yeah. Yes. Um, my grandfather on my dad's side in Virginia, Pentecostal pastor. Oh. Uh, no snakes. They were down the street. <laughs> okay. Uh -huh. I, was, I was like. Were you there? Well, I was about ready to go. Where are the bikes? Which where one is bikes? Pentecostal? With snakes, what do you mean? Like, if you believe you're not going to get bit, kind of thing. Well, there's this, like, this, I guess they'd be the serpent sect. I don't know what they would call it, but that's, like, you ever seen the ones that are holding the snakes? And Yeah. Isn't know? the whole process, like, if you believe you're not going to get bitten, so hold the snake? It's not, uh, something like, yeah, if you believe, yeah, if you have faith, you're safe. Yeah, yeah. And this Church, proves, this shows your faith. Right. But it's very, right, right. Uh, But if you get bit, uh, you non-believer. But it's, yeah, it's very... You fucked up. You could have you just gotten an aggravated snake. <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. yeah, but they don't see it, though. Luckily, but it, but it's a snakes. very, like, jovial, like, the dancing up the aisles. Charismatic and, is yes. what they call it, right? And yes. there's also speaking in tongues. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so, yeah, because, yeah. So for anybody who's been watching, you ever see Borat? Remember the movie? Oh, yeah. Yep. That was a Pentecostal church. Yeah. Gotcha. Oh, 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 gotcha. Yeah. No, I've heard tongues. That was my rehab. 
Okay. Yeah, it was very. Um, is apostolic also in tongues? I don't know. Probably okay. if it's charismatic, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. what I was in, and I'm not apostolic. I'm Catholic. So when they were saying you have to speak in tongues to get into heaven, I'm just kind of <laughs> like, okay, you know what? I said. Aside from me being here thinking that I don't need to be here because I was the same way. I'm in the corner like, Meh, and I'm just thinking, well, if I get into a fight, I'll get kicked out. And that'll look way better than me just quitting like a little bitch. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get into a fight. I'm going to get kicked out. And then they did the talking in tongues, and I'm just like, okay. I'm like, Mom, you're Catholic. you got to see where I'm coming from now. you got to get me out of here. But everybody was just too damn nice, so I couldn't get into a fight. Mm. But I get what you're saying. They were, man. It's in fight, like in a fight club. You have to go pick a fight and yeah. lose. Yeah. And you're like, this day, <laughs> yeah. I tried to fight the priest. And he's like, hey. But, okay, so that, that was going on with yours. So what was yeah. in your head? Yeah, like? well, um, so I didn't, I, it terrified me. Sure. Yeah. Um, my dad was an atheist. So son of a preacher man, atheist, because of his experience with his father before he found Jesus, Sure, my dad uh, was not into it. Um, he, was, he, was, he assessed the situation and was like, no thanks, no thank you. Um, and my mom is, uh, my dad's been gone for, uh, in 2013, mm. my mom's still alive. Mom's very much into Jesus. Mm-hmm. And um, so there I was, my sister too. The two of us sitting between an atheist and a deeply devout person, mm-hmm. and we're going. And I was like, no, no, mm-hmm. I'm not. I don't feel like nothing, but I don't feel that. And then there's this man I love up there, Granddaddy, and he's fucking. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god, what the hell? Yeah. And then check this out. This was so funny. I mean, this is so funny. This is a part, big part of my story. Is when I was eight or nine, I was getting into rock, maybe uh-huh. ten, uh, Zeppelin and ACDC and Kiss and yeah, buddy, right, all the things. Um, Nineteen eighty, eighty-one at this yeah. time, right. And so my sister brought a tape and 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 was like, hey, Granddaddy did a seminar with this guy. She put the tape in, and it's a seminar on backwards messages in rock music. Oh, Jesus. On tape, right? And so this guy, you know, straight out of South Kakalaki or wherever, where he was like, can you say you believe in Jesus Christ? And so he's talking about the Beatles and all the things, and he's like, listen to this song right here. And he played Black Dog by Led Zeppelin. Mm. And he's like, hear the beat and the the serpent and the sex and all this stuff. And then he played it backwards. Oh, it was like, hey, hey, mama said the way you move, gonna make you sweat, gonna make you groove. And he played it backwards and it was like, Satan is my prince. Yeah, I must worship him. And I fucking heard it. And then he was like, here's God of Thunder by Kiss. I'll rob you of your virgin soul. What a great song. My favorite Kiss song. Yeah, I, I want it. Yeah, let's go, God of Thunder. And then, uh, Highway to Hell. Hey Satan, pay my dues. Pay I was gonna say, you don't need to rewind it for Highway to Hell. It tells you. In the, it's right, yeah. straightforward. Um, and dude, you guys, that shit gave me night terrors because I loved everything he was playing, and I would wake up in the middle of the night and and I would literally see demons gnashing. I was screaming and shit. And I remember my dad and my mom came in like, oh, and my dad was like, see, see what that shit does. Like, a, like not the music, the fucking religious stuff. Right. My dad was like, see the fear that this puts in, because he, I mean, and again, my dad was not 
a you know he was not a pinnacle of spirituality <laughs> but he was like see and my mom's like no it's the music right and so there and then my dad did later when i got older he was not into me putting kiss posters on my it was always like my posters on my walls were the problem mm-hmm. right and so yeah. i had to tear them down and all this other stuff but that shit fucked me up and then one day i realized one night whatever if they were going to kill me if these demons were going to tear me apart wouldn't they have done it already and i never saw them again hmm. they were like he's not afraid i wasn't afraid it's kind of one of the earliest lessons probably a power of mind potentially and then I was on a high. <laughs> yeah, I've heard a lot of the Zeppelin tracks. I've heard a lot of like weird messages, and it's the majority of it was Zeppelin. There's one on Stairway to Heaven too. How I don't they, remember how what part Robert of it was. Robert Plant sing something backwards. Yeah, I mean it's Robert Plant. I like that like Motley Crue purposely injected shit in there just oh, to yeah. piss people off. You're Yo, like, oh, my I... soul's on fire. And it's it was like, backwards. Yeah, 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 it's like oh, they're just wanting to piss people off. Well yeah. done, well played. You want to hear a little side story? When yeah, I, was, yeah. I went to MI, this music institution institute down here, uh-huh. uh, after after I was in Seven Dust, uh, and we did a snot reunion. Then I went to school for audio engineering, started producing some bands and shit, whatever. But while we were in there, we did this like this mixing class or whatever. And so the last day of the of the class, the uh, instructor was like, "Hey, here's the multi tracks for Rock of Ages. Oh, wow. I'll put it up on the thing, and you guys can mix it." He had the, the separate tracks on there, and I was and I was 38 at the time. I'm all hold on, boys. This is from my era. Y'all just sit back. And so I went up there and started mixing it. And I found, and I was looking at the Pro Tools waveforms, and there was this one track that had two little blips in it. And I went and I soloed them and listened, and it was like, and I'm like, what? And I and I scrubbed it backwards, and one of, and it was one of them was fuck the Russians, because it was eighty whatever yeah. Cold War, and it was, and then I met Joe Elliott, so British fucking, rock band, yeah. yeah. So then like so then like oh, that was two thousand nine or ten. So then like two and a half three years later, I was on tour with Ugly Kid Joe, and we were playing in Dublin, I think, with uh, Duff's band, um, Loaded. Shout out to, to uh, Mike Squires and the boys in Loaded, um, and. Uh, <laughs> Joe Elliott was there, and I had my moment. I was like, "Hey, Joe." So I was at, the, and I told him I was at the school. And I said, "I found this thing," and he goes, "You found the golden ticket, mate." <laughs> he goes, "Yeah." He goes, "Yeah." Me and Mutt Lang were just fucking around in the studio, and so I, we were like, "Let's throw some," because you would never hear it on yeah. there. Even the um, blabing, blabing, blabing. Like yeah. that's I don't know what that's one, two, three, four. I don't know what it is. Yeah, backwards. it's like from. Um like the day the earth stood still or something uh, like that one of those classes I should have yeah. scrubbed that backwards I didn't yeah. do that it's also on the offspring they use that too oh yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. So he was come like, out yeah. and play huh yeah. Yeah. yeah he's like me and Mutt were just messing around so we threw some stuff in there he's like you found the gold ticket I was like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so back to recovery so did yeah he give man. you his chocolate factory after yes he did <laughs> here we go it's all yours but yeah uh, yeah man so eventually I you know I'm just like that's oh oh so the the question of of faith, right? Yeah, because it's uh, a hard thing for a lot of people to oh come man. to. When I walked into, the, when I went to my like first AA meetings and rehab, I was like, "Fuck this, man! Yeah. Fuck all of this, mm-hmm. God and all this." I was like, "Okay, I'm not." You know, I was like, "I'm not into it." So basically, what I did was that God that I was so terrified of, I hated it. Yeah, and so I lashed out against it. Mm-hmm. But what I did ultimately in that process was I took myself personally sort of out of contention for a spiritual connection of my own right um you know and i say this anybody who hears me talk at meetings or whatever hears me talk i say this often like i love animals i love connection i love intimacy i love kids i love art i love period right i love period Mm -hmm. um i'm a lover 
and I like being kind. I actually enjoy it. Not just nice, not just being nice, but being kind. I really enjoy it. It's part of my nature. But I was so angry and so lost and so sad that I acted out on that stuff and I went really dark and heavy. And mm-hmm. But I was still like me. There was still like this mm-hmm. sweet guy in there too. But I was poisoning myself and it fueled drinking and using and, and it kept me out of contention for like a real spiritual connection. And then um, when I, so that was in rehab, I was like, I, I mean, I didn't do a single step when I was a kid in, mm-hmm. in rehab. Oh, I had a sponsor. I asked a guy to be my sponsor because his name was Lars. <laughs> what was know? his last name? I can't remember. Oh, but hey, it that first name it Lars works. It wasn't Ulrich. Right? I was going to yeah. say, we might he was know like, that. You know, Sonny, come on, let's hang out, bro. We're going to listen to some Motorhead. And- yeah, this is non addictive cocaine. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have you met my father? So, um, <laughs> his dad was rad. Gandalf is his dad. Yeah. Uh, oh, dude. Uh, yeah. People that don't know, watch uh, well, some, kind, some of monster, kind of monster, the documentary. You'll see. If Lars you were telling dad. me that there was a song about a man in an echo chamber, I would say, like, his dad just bashed everything. Everything it was so good, uh-huh. and he was right. His dad was right. It was all shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that album was. So, so uh, that's the guy. The reason I asked the guy to be my. And he wrote a Harley. Oh, how about this thing? People say in AA meetings, and I'm again, I'm a twelve stepper, so I'm, and I'm kind of bashing the fellowship in a way because I think that we get far away from the actual program. And I what, agree. And what gets us to what gets me to recover? I like agree. I've recovered from alcoholism today. Mm-hmm. I'm not recovering. I'm not recovering. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I'm not. I don't say I'm a recovering alcoholic. It says in the book that we recovered from alcoholism right. to show others precisely how we recovered. In italics mm-hmm. is the purpose of this book. So if I take the twelve steps in order as they're laid out, I'm going to recover from alcoholism, mm-hmm. and then I will be recovered. Doctor Bob was brilliant. What was it the Dalai? That Lama? was that was Silkworth. Doctor Dalai Lama. What said it best? Oh. One of the best inventions of the uh, the twentieth century. That was Aldous was Huxley. Aldous Huxley said that. The AA book. Yeah, that Aldous Huxley said. Oh, okay. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, Atlas, we Atlas shrugged and all that shit. Yeah, yeah, okay. Atlas Huxley, yeah, yeah. I mm-hmm. think that was him. Uh, the book, but yeah, that was him. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He said that shit. He said it was the, yeah, one of the biggest contributions to the 20th century. That's what it social was. contribution, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so Lars, yeah, and uh, uh, but yeah, they say this in in meetings that you know, if to, looking for a sponsor, find somebody who has what you want. <laughs> and I was like, well, that guy's got a Maserati. Right? What do you mean what I want? I don't know what the fuck I want. I want somebody who's not smoking meth today. Yeah. That's all I wanted, really what I wanted. And that's what I got when I finally hit bottom at 30 years old and came in. But Lars had a fucking name of Lars, wrote a Harley, and had smoking hot girlfriends. So I was like, will you be my sponsor? I might have called him twice mm-hmm. in six months. And the, the second call was, um, I'm, fuck it, I'm out of here. He's like, sounds like you're going to drink. No. <laughs> and what did I do? I went and drank. Yeah. And then I tried controlled drinking, and that didn't, and I couldn't control and enjoy because you hear this like when I'm controlling I'm certainly not enjoying it yeah. mm-hmm. and when I'm enjoying it I'm out of control mm-hmm. right that's the the plight of the alcoholic um, and so I you know I went through my um, through my early 20s kind of I mean I was a pothead and that's when I got the snot gig and I flew out to, to San, or I drove out to Santa Barbara and then it just progressed from there man mm-hmm. I, you know and I and really ultimately part of the my exodus from snot some people don't know this but or don't track it but I left snot before Lynn Strait died, I left the band. Right. And I was fucked up on meth when I did it. I was on meth and uh, I made a lot of mistakes, man. Because um, I was sick, yeah. you know, and I look back and I go, oh man, like we will not regret the past and I was just shut the door on it. I still have some regrets. I'm like, I wish I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. I wish it didn't work out that way. Ultimately, thankfully, I did, I joined a band with, with uh, Shannon Larkin called Amen. Um, and uh, ultimately, before Lynn died, he and I made up because he and I were oh, not wow. friends when I left the band. We were, not friends yeah. 
and um, ultimately they were like like Jamie Miller the drummer and then the guy who had replaced me left the band hmm. and there were three shows that were booked and um, they asked me to play Lynn was like hey man will you play these shows with us I said yeah dude I'll do it and we totally it was great man we you know buried the hatchet or whatever made peace yeah. and killed it these last three shows we were on fire man it's we that band was I mean especially Lynn was we were, it was so explosive that it's like I it couldn't continue man. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know so we did those shows and then the last conversation I had with Lynn Strait um, we were supposed to meet up and go to this party at the Key Club which was like for like some porn release <laughs> sick yeah, yeah Matt Zane's band Society One was playing you know and, and uh, I was coming off meth that night and I couldn't get the fuck out of bed man so I texted him or whatever I called him or it, it was beepers yeah. so I let, you know, sent him a message or whatever I don't know how I did it but I couldn't go, I, I couldn't make it. And then I called him the next day and was like, hey man, sorry, I couldn't, you know, I'm sick. I didn't yeah. even tell him oh. I'm coming down from meth. He I know that excuse. Yeah, he would have been like, oh, I'll get it. If I said, dude, I'm coming off meth, he would have been like, all right, cool, you got any more? <laughs> yeah, right. We smoked, he and I smoked meth out of a fucking light bulb one time in, in Malibu in, in like this beautiful spread in Malibu. What did you crack the end of? He, was, he did it, I don't know how he did it. When he did, I was like, "How are you doing that, bro?" Yeah, I want to hit that. Yeah, yeah. like I, I don't understand. Because we get creative. I what, can see that. A what light bulb. You could do it. What you was get it from scene? the back. You poke all in the back, and then you drop it. And it's just like a pookie. But how did he break the glass of the? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He broke yeah. the glass to make the pookie. Yeah, but, <laughs> I don't. But whatever. What, what was it? Um, Freaking what movie with it? Uh, what's his name? Baldwin was it? And where he's like. Uh, Oh man, we don't have our bunk. Give me a funnel, a corkscrew, and an avocado. It's like we find our ways. We find the ways. <laughs> we find our fucking ways. Lynn to had it, bro. I was like, how that works too. I was amazed. I'm like, damn, bro. Yeah. Yes. Let me hit that. So uh, the last conversation I had with him, man, was really beautiful. I'm so happy. We just we had been on tour for, with each other for years, and you know, on 30 hour drives, maybe talked for you know 25 minutes straight, one on one, mm -hmm. and then like. We talked for like three hours on the phone, man. And at one point I was like, dude, we've been on the phone for like three hours. And he goes, rad, anyway, so check. And he, we kept talking. And it was so cool, man. Then a couple days later, Mikey Doling calls me. And and um, ironically, I don't know if it's ironic or not, but I'm, I had a, I was living with my friends and I had my own phone line. And I was watching TV and like a Geico commercial came on. And I was like, I don't have insurance and I'm driving all over the place. Oh, I called Geico for, <laughs> for a, a quote. My friend comes in with the phone. He, Mikey called her line, and she's he's, she's like, "Hey, Mikey's on." I go, I tell him I got to call him back, and she goes, "Oh, okay." And she turns around and she goes, "Oh," and she's like, "Hey, Sonny, he says he really needs to talk to you." And so I'm, I'm hold on, Geico. Hey, Mikey, and he goes, "Are you sitting down?" And I said, "Hold on, I gotta go." Click, and I said, "What's up, dude?" And he goes, "He's gone, bro." I knew exactly what he meant. Mm -hmm. He just goes, "He's gone, bro," and I was like, "Damn!" I literally went, "Damn." Like that's today. Like we all knew it was gonna happen, man. Mm -hmm. He was. It's just how Lynn was. You know, Lynn would love you to death or hate you to death. But either way, he was going to kill you. Mm. Yeah. yeah, he was a lovely man and he was a maniac. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I don't know if you guys know the, the thing. He was in a car accident. Yeah. He pulled out on the freeway. And I did not know that. He was loaded, and it was just a yeah. fucked. It was an accident. He was loaded and judged it wrong and got t-boned and killed. And yeah. Dobbs, the dog that's on our cover. Right, right. Um, with a lemon on his nose. It's not a tennis ball. It's a lemon yeah. with a snot logo on it. Dobbs was in the car, and they were going. In fact, I spoke at a meeting in Ventura, in-person meeting, uh, a couple weekends ago, a couple Saturdays ago, and I was sharing about that. I'm like, you know, this is my friend died up here, yeah. and there was a guy in the back that went, 
and like he was like all the way in the back he's like he went like that and i was like i gotta talk to that dude after he was the first person on the scene after that happened. oh shit oh wow he's like dude it was gnarly yeah and he told me about it i was like now i you know i again like i've been to the gates of death and all this other stuff not just with drugs but with heart attacks and shit so i'm not i don't really shudder at talking about death like we're all everybody poops everybody dies yeah right and so I wasn't like, oh, I don't want to hear it. I was like, yeah, just tell me whatever, whatever you want to share with me. Yeah. I'll hear it. Because <laughs> I'm obviously supposed to hear something here, yeah. right? Whatever reason I shared it, and then he was there, and he, we talked about it, and I was just like, damn. Because, you know, Lynn was an addict, man. He was yeah. a, a hardcore addict. I never saw him take one single drink, but he sure did do drugs heavily. <laughs> and the poor dude, had he had uh, Tourette's. I think he had serious anxiety and insecurity yeah. of all kind. He had insecure tattooed across his stomach. It said I insecure in in like the, the old English like a yeah, cholo yeah, kind yeah. of font, uh, but it said insecure. How <laughs> old was he when he died? Uh, Thirty. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, because that's when then they did in fact, angel songs. Three days that, from right? now is the anniversary. It will be the twenty fifth. Excuse me, twenty three years yeah. since Lynn passed, uh, yeah. December 11, 98. Yeah, because after yeah. that was when they did the Angel Song, right? Angel yeah. Song, yeah. yeah. It was a dedication to Lynn's to mom. mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which Clint Lowry wrote, yeah, yeah. from Seven Dust. So, we just give you a little history, a little snot history there. But, man, I tell you, that shit fueled me, man. I went, I had moved to Santa Clarita, and there was, like, you know, <laughs> meth and 22-year-old hot girls who like right. to do meth. Yeah. With guys who are in bands. And so, I went fucking buck wild ultimate man. combination for toxicity yeah dude so i was 28 that's where it really really started like really the the you know the whirlpool mm-hmm. the drain i was starting to circle the drain then i was going for it man and then i moved to hollywood uh or koreatown um and <laughs> lived in my guitar player paul figs dining room <laughs> very very elegant very you know. Would you have a little four under the dining room table or something? I had a uh, he had it was a small dining room table, and I had this like a bed roll and a room divider, like a thing, and I'd put it to the side, and I was like, I mean, it was, and I I was like, yeah, whatever, and I didn't. This give works. A, yeah, I didn't care. And then he and then his room his roommate was like uh, subletting the room, and she moved back after being in England or whatever, and she moved back in the house, and she was like, nah, <laughs> this dude's gotta go. <laughs> no, there's not going to be any. And Paul was like, sorry, dude. He's the greatest guy ever, Paul Fig. Big props to Paul Fig. Sweetest guy, great friend. And he was like, sorry, dude. You got And so I moved into a place where my drug dealer, you guys know the term lower companion? Yes. Right. In this case, lower companion is somebody who's like a hanger on, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. In this case, it was a funny thing. I was actually listening to another podcast called Breaking Anonymity with my friend MC Search. You don't know if you guys heard of that? Yeah, I have. Yeah, but he had this guy, um, Eli, from Living Legends. I think he was in uh, Three Melancholy... Um, what's it? Three Melancholy uh, Prophets? Shit, I can't remember. It's a rap group. But he was talking about this, how he would hang out with his drug dealer. The drug dealer wanted him around because he had because he looked up to him, right. and he was around because he wanted the drugs, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the same thing was happening with me with that guy I was the lower companion mm-hmm. yeah. I was hanging out with him because he had the drugs I get to see dude you did Pop Goes the Weasel come hang out with me yeah it wasn't him it was the guy they had on the thing oh on, okay on the, but he has his own story yeah Yeah. Pop Pop Goes the Weasel the Weasel Mikey's too young for that shit yep. it was, I don't it know was, what the fuck you guys are doing there's a rap song making fun of Vanilla Ice yep. oh. there's also one called The Gas Face you ever hear Gas Face uh uh-uh. uh alright 
uh, it was like hardcore white dudes. I mean, MC Search is, a, is Jewish yeah. uh -huh. from like uh, Rockaway Beach, you know, New York. Um, but uh, he's, you know, he went ahead and just kind of discovered this guy called Na Nas. Mm. Yeah. That guy? Little, he did okay. Yeah, he found this, you know, they were looking, uh, he got with, uh, shit, what's her name? There was somebody from, um, whatever the label was, Def Jam maybe, uh, looking, f they were like, hey, we heard of this kid, Nasty Nas, and MC Search found him in Queensbridge, and he was like, yo, I got, found that kid. That's part of the, uh, like, you can watch these documentaries on on YouTube, I'm on um, uh, Netflix. <clears throat> but anyway, so this guy was talking about the same thing, he was, a that's what I was. I realized it later, I was like, oh my God, I was a lower companion. I moved into this, <laughs> this fucking building on Sunset in Orange, right by Sunset and Highland, kinda. Okay. Yeah, down that way, right, uh -huh. not far, across from Hollywood High. Uh, I basically was squatting, and there was a guy that my friend <laughs> was getting drugs for every day, cocaine every day, who had the keys to this empty building and gave us the keys to run after hours parties. And I took a room in the middle of the place, and whenever I closed my door, complete darkness. I'd look at my clock, I didn't know if it was 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. I was like, what time, I don't care, it doesn't, didn't matter. Yeah, and so I was, that's where I was living for a while, and then somehow, I got a girlfriend, <laughs> and she let me move in with her. Oh no, I think I moved in with, uh, oh, there was a couple other places I moved before then, <coughs> shit. Uh, but I finally eventually got it, my girlfriend let me move in with her, um, and it was, I mean, and me and my dog. It was really the dog that she wanted there, uh, and that's the truth. <laughs> she she, she didn't want the dog armed. She didn't want me, she wanted the dog. dog. Yeah, so uh, I was living with her. She and, and I and my dog went to Mammoth for New Year's. I had the last six months I had been going back and forth between coming off meth and going back back and forth, and she was like just getting so sick of it, and just you know. And, and she, she was a sober person. And we, well, she isn't an alcoholic, so she yeah. is not sober, but she's not an alcoholic. As we call mm -hmm. it a normie. You can call Some it that. There's nothing it normal normie. about that. Normal drinker. Normal drinker. Right. Right. Yeah. right. There you go. Yeah, those people, there's nothing normal about them. They just don't, <laughs> right. have, they just don't have what we have. <laughs> yeah. They got their other shit. Yeah, it's like, how can you do that? Yeah. They're like, I just don't have that thing. Yeah. Um, so she, uh, uh, she and I went to uh, Mammoth for, the, for New Year's, and on December 30th, we got up there, and I went to the bathroom and pulled out my pipe, my pookie out of the little sunglass case or whatever, and my bindle, which was in a magazine page, had my contained my stash of crystal meth dropped into the toilet. And I was like, oh, and I grabbed it out and I poured it on the back of the thing and I'm like, oh God, it's watching it just dissolve. And I licked it all and ate it all, smoked the rest of what was in my pipe, December 30th, didn't sleep all night. And I'm laying there in the bed and I would freak out. Anytime my girl would like try to cuddle with me and put her hand on my chest, I swear she, my heart would be pounding like yeah. this. I think she would feel it, right. so I'd somehow roll over or whatever, act like I was asleep. God, that was miserable. That's why I say I don't yeah. like it. Yeah. What was I doing? I was feeding a demon within me. Right. It had nothing to do with having fun or partying or I like that. I didn't like it, man. It, mm -hmm. I, was a, I was a slave. Next day, I'm coming off meth. I think I told you guys I faked an injury, yeah, so yeah. I can't snowboard. And then she saw me coming off and she's like, killer. We get back down the hill on January 2nd. I'd been dry for three days because I couldn't find meth. In, uh, in Mammoth. I probably could have if I really looked, but I couldn't, I, I was coming down so hard, I right. couldn't keep my eyes open. And then the, the when we got back down the hill, back to Santa Monica, she's like, "Get! I don't want you here, get out. Your dog can stay, but you gotta go. Oh, yeah. Yep, and then she and my dog left. Where'd and, they go? Uh, I don't know, and they went like. That was something. the last time you ever heard from her? No, 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 oh. we got married later. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> yeah. Oh shit. Eight years later or something like that, yeah, yeah. Oh wow. We're divorced now, but we, uh, yeah. Oh, we go. sorry. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> big props to Colleen. 
yeah she put up with some shit um and before and after i got sober <laughs> and well i'm sure, well because the, the thing is people too i think one of the one of the things that maybe we it was good for newcomers to know is like look this is gonna help you it's a blueprint almost it's, a, it's an idea of where it can take you with your sobriety but there's a bunch of other shit underneath that you are gonna have to uncover and unwork and i actually think one of our conversations it was 15 years ago, 16 years, I mean, shit, you and I met that long ago. 17 years ago, maybe, I don't 2016, know. 2016, uh, six. Yeah, so, 15, whatever. 15, 15 and a half, we'll 15, call it, summer yeah. of 06. You know, for me, it was the, the toxic relationship and women and that idea <clears throat> that some hot chick was gonna complete me and all those things, and that's, you know, that was the shit I had to, to unwind along with being in the home of an addict as a child and everything yeah, else, and it's, you know, it's like, okay, you're gonna get clean, but it doesn't end there. You still got the stuff to deal with, your defects and, and Hooray things for therapy. To keep, yeah. Mm. And things to keep in check. Like it's 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 your job to still keep this shit in check. Like your shit doesn't necessarily go away, but you learn new tools to keep it in check that what you can shut it down really quick or quicker than you used to. Or at least address it as it comes up. Yeah. yeah. I don't know about yeah. shutting it down because I'm in therapy now. I it took me nineteen years of sobriety before I like succumbed to therapy. I, mm. and I work in treatment and sometimes I see how therapists work with people and I'm just like, nah, I don't really want that yeah. kind of therapist. Yeah. But I have done uh, different modalities in sobriety after I recovered from alcoholism. So t I, you know, once I, I'll f finish the bottom real quick. Sure. That day she and my dog left and I was like, I don't know what to do, man. I was like, I was at this turning point, like a, like a jumping off place, whatever you want to call it. And I was like, I don't know how to keep going and doing this, but I can't stop. Yeah. And so I have a wonderful friend who's one of my Inuits. I don't say Eskimo anymore, I say Inuit, <laughs> uh, Roxanne. Um, and uh, her her brother is Ross Robinson, who produced the first two Corn records, yeah. and Biscuit and Sepultura and all this, and Amen, he did two Amen records, uh, three Amen records I was on, three I think. Anyway, um, I met him, I met her through him. We became dear friends when I was smoking meth, and she was still, and she was already sober for ten years. Mm. But we were, we became super tight, and dear friends, and she would swoop in and take me to get good food when I was all sucked up. She'd take me to like some vegan restaurant. And the funny thing is, I'd be like, "Can we go to Carl's Jr.? I'm just <laughs> fucking Jack in the Box. I don't want to go to Real Foods Daily and get a walnut meatloaf." Like, no. She's like, "We'll go to Starbucks after. You can get a giant foamy latte with all the milk you want." And funny thing, now I'm vegan, yeah. <clears throat> just because. Um, and so. Uh, she had said to me at one point, she's like, she would never push it on me, man. She did it by the book, man. She would sit with me lovingly, calmly, and just, yeah, and she would calmly talk to me and just share experiences with me. And she wouldn't be like, dude, you're fucked up. You could, you know, whatever. Yeah. And she wouldn't try to scare me. This is gonna be, it's gonna get worse. You know, none of that, man. She would just talk to me and share her experience. And then one day she's like, all right, but Sonny, what if you ever, because I would say, I really would not, I'd like to not smoke Christmas. But she's like, if you ever really are ready for the help, just call AA. And I was like, no, I don't have the, I, some stupid junky thing to say, I don't have the number. <laughs> and she's like, okay, buddy, I'm gonna give it to you and you'll never forget it. And I was like, watch me forget it like that. Yeah. And she goes, you're not gonna forget it. This is back in the day of actual like landlines. I mean, I guess they're still, but she goes, the number is 411. Huh. For those of you who don't know, 411 was directory assistance. I you forgot about that. 411, and, yeah. you, and you get a human on the phone. And like, star 69, remember that? You could do that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I go 411, you know. And the human answers. Yeah. So I was sitting on my girl's bed, and I'm like, "Oh my god, that conversation with Roxanne came back." And I went, and, pick, and I don't know, I didn't, I didn't go. You know what? 
I'm gonna get sober. I got an idea. I'm gonna, I did not think that. It was pure desperation. And so I picked up the phone, I went 411. Someone answered, Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I mean, sorry, uh, directory assistance. I said, can I have the number for Alcoholics Anonymous? Sure, for just this additional 30 cents, we'll connect you. And oh, then, shit, remember that? that part <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, You could get connected for 30 cents. And so I'm gonna peep. My girl paid for that shit. <laughs> Thanks, Colleen. That's uh, so funny. Right? Remember that? Yeah. I totally, I do now. Oh, yeah, I remember it now. Yeah. <laughs> we'll never forget it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. And so uh, somebody answered AA, alcohol's anonymous. And I was like, I, I need help. I can't stop. And she goes, Great. I was like, What? Now, mind you, I had been to meetings, I went to rehab, right? right? I, can, I, I might be one of those people that might pull out the phrase, This isn't my first rodeo. This was my first rodeo. Right. Today is my first rodeo. I've never been sober 19 years, 11 months, and nine days. Right. And even if I had, I haven't been today. Right. This is my first rodeo, man. I have to look at it that way. I'm not, I'm not afraid of relapse. I don't have a healthy fear of relapse. That's nonsense. I've recovered from alcoholism, but I still have to do the things right. today. And I like doing the things. And, and I think maybe that's another thing, too, that concept of one day at a time that people may not understand. I didn't it's, understand it. Yeah, it's that, that reset of every day. There's a 24-hour cycle. and, and it, Well, it really, what I like, and how I like to look at it is it takes the pressure off me. Like, almost like you were saying, Mikey, about staying sober for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I don't have to look at it that way. Yeah. Sure. Ultimately, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Of course. Right, sure. But it, 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 I don't have to... I don't have today, I don't have to stay sober forever. Right, right. And, it's, and so when I realized that, I was like, oh! And it really like took pressure off me and it made me go, oh, okay. Because I can't do it myself. Like this is the thing about you know, powerlessness and, and whatever, being an alcoholic, I don't have power over this when I'm sick and certainly not over my body when I'm sick. Mm -hmm. But as I recover and I get recovered, Things get easier now, but life still happens, right? So, I hit bottom that day, and went to a meeting down the way. And this guy, this awesome human, there was five people in this meeting. And this, I was like, I don't know what to do, man. I can't stop. And they clapped. That's what we do in Southern California. Clap for everybody. You guys mm -hmm. clap up now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. clap, California. Um, and so this guy goes, Hey, man, you need to go to Mario's tomorrow. And I was like, Okay, what's that? And he goes, it's a Pizza place on Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica. It was it was a block away from where we were. Go there tomorrow and tell them you need help. And so I did, I went there the next day and, and I was like, I was desperate to get in the middle of the room. Again, I wanna give props to whatever it was in me that, that was so desperate and so willing that I didn't think, fuck this, it's a bunch of dudes, I don't wanna hang out with a bunch, I'm not gay, or whatever stupid things people right. say. Um, I didn't think, this is, this is my first rodeo, like I was in A before. I didn't think any of that shit. I was like, I am drowning and I need help, please help me. Mm. And they were like, okay. And then you start, I, I started taking the steps, but I went on tour when I had 18 days, went to Australia um, and did the Big Day Out tour when I had 18 days. Wow. And now here's what I like to point out too, is I had like a respite, if you will, like a grace period where like I was safe at that point in time. I, I, don't, I can look back at it and see it. I wasn't conscious of it then. I was aware that I was extremely happy to not be doing drugs. I didn't want to. Mm -hmm. I was hanging out with all my friends, my buddies in System of a Down, they were on that tour. We were hanging out with Drowning Pool, my boy, props to Dave Williams, big love to Dave, who also died of this yeah. fucking you know disease. I don't know, he drank and then took pills and died in his bunk, had a heart attack or something, my buddy. That was a great dude, man, that was a sweet guy. Um, and so, uh, 
they were all and I hung out and no effects oh I hung out with the drummer and no effects song because he was sober so I just kind of like mm, hung around him and uh, Eric and uh and, but I slept and I ate and I walked around and saw the sights in New Zealand and Australia and all this other, and I was really fucking happy, man. Mm -hmm. And I had zero dollars. I had $175 a week per diem to live on, to do everything <laughs> with, $25 a day. Here's $700 a month, good luck, right? Yeah. And I was on a major label. Um, and so <laughs> They're gonna take care of you. Yeah, and so when I got home, I was like, oh, I gotta get a job. So that's where life shows up. And my sponsor, who was, this is where my sponsor came in. That's like, it's okay, bro. Besides music, what else do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a vet tech. He goes, there's a bunch of animal hospitals. We're gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a little one-on-one -on -one with a resume, just gonna go around. I've got it, I got a job. I got a job at two places. And I started working again. Eventually I, I was starting to take the steps and I realized the band that I was in, Amen, was really volatile. And I was like, yeah, this, I gotta leave this band. I gotta, I have to save my life. And so when I went to them and said, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna do these last two shows and then I'm out," the singer was like, "Oh, what band are you joining?" Thinking I had got a different gig, and I was all, "I'm not joining another band, bro. I, I gotta get out. I gotta save my life." Yeah. And he was all, "Oh," and um, and so I left the band and went back to work to, or to work as a vet tech. And I gotta tell you, it was so nice to just be like, "Get up." I worked like four days a week, three to four days a week. And do the job, hang out with puppies and kitties, try to be nice to people, go to meetings. I went to two meetings a fucking day. You know, I just like did the things. We walked everywhere. I mean, my sponsor walked everywhere. He didn't have, I, he didn't have a car. I didn't have a car. Mm -hmm. He had two years and I had 22 months. And um, and we walked around, went to meetings and all this. I worked the steps, man. And then when I had 10 months clean and sober, I got a call from Head PE. I played in so many bands, it's ridiculous. I'm like, I'm a <laughs> You have a hell of a resume. Yeah, I guess but so. that's interesting. You talk about, you know, like, just leaving a band, it's it's kind of like, I see it as the abandonment of ego uh, along with the humbleness that needs to come in is just kind of like, you know, your opportunity to be of service. Like you said, your love of animals in there. And that's just, that was luck of the draw that I, that I was a vet tech already. Yeah. It's, it's my nature to, I yeah. love it, I'm, I'm, you know. But life has a weird way of that happening. When I'm on that path, right. when I'm being true, when we're being true, to ourselves, how do I know when I'm being true to myself? Usually when it's not really that hard. Sure. Not when it's not that difficult, when I'm not trying to force. Now, of course, we have to work at things, but it's also like the thing that I'm doing, I'm either good at it or I like it or whatever. Like like my job with Rock to Recovery, yeah. this it's work, man. I'm yeah. dealing with addicts and alcoholics all day, every day, writing music with them. But I love this job, man. Mm -hmm. I'm meant to do this job, right? So thankfully, I got to do a, you know go yeah. back to work now here's what i want to point out too because there's a thing that happens in 12-step work is like this whole god thing so here i was back in aa but really in aa for the first time right mm -hmm. right and again i i qualify for na and crystal meth anonymous i keep it simple and just thankfully southern california is quite liberal about like you know what some people would call singleness of purpose mm -hmm. meaning you have to you have to be alcoholic or addict right. we're quite loose when it comes to that um and i try to honor any meeting that i'm at if i'm at an na meeting i'll say my name's sunny and i'm an addict if i'm at a cma marijuana anonymous i'll just yeah. i roll with it mm -hmm. it's the same fucking thing man it, I, me trying to say that i'm only this addict that's me you can say whatever you want anybody can say whatever they want but for me i honor the group that i'm speaking at or i don't go to the meeting mm -hmm. sure. and i don't insist that they allow me to go in there and say i'm an alcoholic when it's an na meeting they don't have to do that that's not their job. That's an NA meeting, honor that. It's an AA meeting, honor that. 
or don't go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. don't have to go. Yeah. Yeah. Don't try to change it. Just go somewhere else. There's plenty of meetings, especially now with Zoom. There's, you can go to a meeting oh, yeah. in 10 buck fucking two. Yeah. So I come in and I'm like, fuck God. Right? I was in Amen. We had a, we had these these shirts that were mock turtlenecks that had the priest collar tied into them, mm-hmm. and it literally said "fuck your prayers." And I was like, "Yeah, fuck God." It was gnarly, man. I was so mad and lost. So I come in and I'm like, "All right, dude, I'm willing to try whatever. I don't know. Fuck me. Yeah. Like whatever I think is not working." And so I didn't, my sponsor was very diligent about trying to help me, you know, find my concept. I would write things. He'd have me write things out, which it doesn't say to do that in the book, but it just says like, what about finding your own conception of God is what Ebby said to Bill in Bill's story. And also it says it in We Agnostics. As long as you have your concept, as long as it makes sense to you, yeah. right? And there's a part in there that I love on page 47 that says, when we speak to you of God, Unfortunately, it's on page 47, not page one. <laughs> but it says, we speak to you, God, we are referring to your own conception of God, whatever it is. Right. It says, please don't let any prejudice you may have against spiritual terms deter, deter you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. Hmm. This applies to other terms you'll read in this book, right? So whatever you see, capital G-O-D or him or whatever, like that was the shit where I was like, oh man. But then it was like, oh wait, what does it mean to me? I, I know what I don't believe. I don't like the angry yeah. him mm-hmm. pronouns. I don't want any pronouns. And I don't even call it they. I'm not calling God they either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, I don't know, I can't. Oh, oh, uh, Michael Beckwith from um, Agape uh, says that um, there, there's a, a word that is the most commonly used word in place of God. And it, the word is something. Huh. Something told me, I, you know, I reached out to something or right. something helped me, right? So something. That's part one of Sunny Mail. We've got that part two out for you guys. Make sure to uh, check it out now. It, it is available on all platforms that we're on. Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast, Spotify. And of course, you can leave us ratings on those now. And we're on every platform. Or join the YouTube channel, just 99 cents a month. You get the interviews unedited, uncensored, and commercial-free. So, uh, hey, head on over there. Link's in the podcast description and check it out. And check out part two of the episode with Sonny Mayo. We talk rock to recovery, things that he's doing still in treatment. In addition to that, therapy, which he's finally embraced after 19 years. And, of course, those fun random questions. And he leaves us with some words of inspiration. The guests on Knocking Doors Down are sharing their stories and helping start the conversation about mental health and, therefore, are working to end the stigma. This is the goal of our partner, the Carlos Vieira Foundation, through their Race to End the Stigma campaign. The Carlos Vieira Foundation created the Race to End the Stigma campaign to not only change the way people perceive those who are living with mental illness, but also how those who are affected perceive themselves. The Carlos Vieira Foundation strives to support the mental health community through education, fundraising, and facilitating resources. The main program through the Race to End the Stigma campaign is a college scholarship program that encourages high school seniors to share their stories about mental health in an effort to end the stigma. For more info on this and how to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org.